Hello, and welcome to the Salem on the Go podcast, a community of Christ followers that seeks the well-being of all people, a place where you can connect, commit, and continue to grow in your faith. The longest part of the night rests just in front of the most brilliant part of dawn. Sunrise is impressive, but just before dawn is where all the beauty of a new day rests. In life, it's the darkness just before the dawn that's the hardest part to step into, but that's also where the brilliance is found. And in this new study of 1 Peter, we'll discover the blessings that can come in the darkest nights of our soul. Now, if this is your first time here or your first time in a while, this is now our uh, fifth week, uh, or for the last five weeks we've been in 1 Peter. This is our sixth week in 1 Peter, and it's a letter that Peter wrote to a wide array of churches. It's not one specific church, but it's the churches all over Asia Minor. And we've called this series Dawn is Coming because in particular, the church during this period of time needed to hear this message of hope that something new was coming, that they could anticipate a new day in which they were living. You know, many of us have been in that season of anticipation over the last two years where we're like, surely there's a new day coming. Surely there's something new coming in our life because it can't just continue to be this way over and over all throughout our lives. And the people in, uh, in Asia Minor in particular were facing that reality. Surely, God, you will not let this persecution last forever. Surely we won't have to face this constantly and without end. And that's the world that Peter wants to speak into. That's what we've been talking about over the last five weeks and will continue today. But as we turn to the end of chapter 3 today, I want to talk about order. Because order is everything. Can you say that with me this morning? Order is everything. Let's do that one more time. Order is it's everything. It's everything around us. It's all that we think about. Think about where we are for just a minute. The world as we know it is an orderly environment, right? This morning, and, and we sort of plan our days around this, we know that sunrise is eventually going to lead to daylight. It, we know this so much that earlier in this week, I stood in this same spot around this same time just to see how bad I would be winking at you when we were here. That's I did that because order is what? Everything. I assumed it. We know that, again, sunrise leads to daylight, daylight leads to noonday, noonday leads to dusk, and dusk leads to sunset, and sunset leads to night because there is an order to all things in our lives. And it's not just with the natural universe, even though God made that in a beautiful way. Of course, there is order in all kinds of situations in our lives. My son right now is at that stage in his education where he's starting to learn that sequence matters in mathematics. Everything is fun and games in math until you get to that space, right? Like if it's 2 plus 3, 2 plus 3 equals the same thing as 3 plus 2. Sequence doesn't matter. Order doesn't matter. But he's now at that stage of like subtraction. And I'm like, buddy, you can't reverse these things, right? Why? Because order is everything. It orders everything in our lives. And God help him when he gets to the order of operations, right? That crazy like, what is it? Please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. Like, I always had it like, please excuse my dumb algebraic stupidity. That's really what it should be, because I know nothing other than that. You just get it in that order, and it's, it's fine to go. Or think about this. In just a little while, we're going to have, you know, some hot dogs over here to my right. And that's a beautiful thing, and maybe some of the cooks need to use the restroom. You better hope that order matters when that happens, right? There's a specific order. You want to go to the bathroom? Go to the bathroom. That's fine. Do your thing. But then what do you do after you go to the bathroom? wash your hands and then you can come back and cook and I'm okay with that but if you get that out of order right that's going to be a problem because order is it's everything order is everything it's everywhere it's all we do a few of you you'll go 
you know, you'll take off in a plane in a couple weeks on spring break. That's wonderful. But again, order is everything. Right? It's great to be on that plane, but they better not mess up the order of what you're doing on that plane. You want to take off. You want to climb. You want to cruise for a little while. You want to descend slowly. And then you want to land. God help you if they take off and they don't like ascend. Right? You're just like, we're just going to cruise at about 200 feet above the ground. Eventually, there's going to be a building with your name on it. That's going to be a problem, right? You can't get that out of order. You have to follow the order in this way because order is everything. Order is everywhere in our life. It orders all parts of our lives and everything that we see, whether it's the things that we cook and the way that we cook and the place that we put things in our life. There's this sort of cause and effect to our world in which we understand order and everything that's there. So order is everything until it's not. Like, you know, on April 10th, when it should be spring, and it decided to be winter. Like, there's times in our lives where it doesn't feel like order is actually everything. It could be the world around us, it could be as we perceive the larger world, or it could be our personal lives where things seem to just be out of place, right? If you walked into my laundry room right now, you might disagree with the idea that order is everything. Right? Nothing is in order right now. If I could have followed you in your cars on the way to church this morning, you might disagree with me that order is everything because it could have been chaos until you got out of the car. Like, order is not always everything in our lives, and our experience of life is somewhat very different. I would argue it this way. For an orderly universe as you and I experience it, sometimes our experience of that very same universe is out of order. Even though we would claim it's an orderly universe, our experience of that is just out of order. And in fact, this is sort of true for Palm Sunday, because on Palm Sunday, Jesus is the one who's riding into Jerusalem this day, and everyone around him is singing his praises, saying, Hosanna in the highest, the one who has come to save us. Thank you for coming to save us. And within seven days, those same selves, seven days in the future, are now crying crucify him. This seems out of order. This doesn't seem to make sense at all. It's completely beyond order. How is it possible that the same group of people, seven days in the future, after saying Hosanna in the highest and praising him, would give in to the chaos and would crucify Jesus in that place. They love him, they shout praises, and then they tear down the streets in order to throw him upon the cross. And here's what I think. I imagine that the sort of roller coaster type experience that is Jesus' experience here in the final week of his life probably seems familiar. You've probably had those seasons of your life where everything sort of seems out of order. It seems like nothing is going as it, should plan, as, as it was planned, right? I mean, things could have been going well. God's good, family's good, work's good, Duke's winning games. Amen. And then everything changes. And you throw away uh, ACC championship, and you throw away a shot at a national champ. I mean, like, everything was good until it's not, and it's out of order, and everything is going away. The order is lost. The sequence is gone. And we would say things in moments like this, like, this is not what I planned for, right? It's not what I planned for, or we might say this is not how it's supposed to be, as if there's this innate orderliness to life. And everything in that moment feels out of place. Everything is gone. And instead of believing that order is everything, you might suggest, no, nothing is in order. Nothing's in order in my life right now. Nothing is the case that is brings that uh, truth to my life right now. And that, of course, if you've been tracking with me, is exactly where Peter is speaking. 
he's speaking into a world that seems completely out of order. And Peter's been honest and upfront about that. He's tried to live into that and to kind of name that as best he can as he's gone through this book. He knows that the followers of Christ are not living in a world that feels very orderly. Their world seems completely out of order. And in that space, Peter knows that a couple things happen. And these are things that happen to us as well. The first thing that happens often in our lives when things feel out of order is when our world is out of order, we assume that there is no order. And this is kind of a deep internal reality. This may not affect your neighbor or your family member, but inside yourself, when the world is out of order, you start to assume that maybe there isn't any order to things. Maybe there isn't any meaning to things. And, and of course, that can lead you down a path of denying God altogether. You know what, if nothing is in order, if there's nothing that nothing good that reigns in the world, then maybe God doesn't even exist. And, and this is problematic on a very deep and personal level because it does throw us down that path. But the second threat, the first one is kind of internal. The second one can be damning to those around you. And that's where I want to focus for just a minute because while the first threat is, is this, when there is no order in the world, we assume that there is no order. The second threat is this. When our world is out of order, we act out of order. And this is where we can start doing damage to our spouses and to our family members, to our friends, to our co-workers, because we act out of order. When the world is chaotic around us, what do we do? We respond with chaos. When the world is anxious around us, what happens to our anxiety? It rises. We start to respond in kind. When all we see is violence, we, what do we do? We become violent in those spaces. We respond kind for kind. And Peter knows that that's exactly what is happening in the hearts and minds of the early followers. They're trying to scheme ways in which, in a world of chaos, they can respond in a chaotic way. They can respond in a violent way when violence comes to them. And that's why he speaks so eloquently throughout this whole thing about watching the way in which we behave. And over the last few weeks, we've talked about this. He says we should live in, in quiet submission to our evil rulers, our corrupt rulers in our lives. We should live in quiet submission to our evil slave masters. We should live in quiet submission to our unbelieving spouses. I mean, he goes through the whole thing about how you should act, and then he gets to this final part after he's gone through all of those very specific scenarios, and he says, listen, 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 finally. This is verse 8 if you're following along. Finally, folks, I want you to hear me clearly. All of you, please, have a unity of spirit in this moment. When chaos comes, we break apart. When chaos comes and rules in our lives and there is no order, we disband. We're no longer in order ourselves. So he encourages the church, please, in moments like this, find unity and spirit together. And you can hold that unity by living in a particular way, by loving one another, by holding a tender heart towards one another, by holding a humble mind in your disposition towards other people. Peter understands that unity is where we can find the hope that we need to continue to live against the grain of the chaos that is there. Peter recognizes that in this world in which he's speaking, everything does seem out of order, but he encourages them in this space where everything is out of order to follow the orders that come from the one who orders all things. I need you to pay attention to a different order. When your world on the ground seems out of order, I need you to look higher and follow the orders from the one who orders everything in the universe. And even though it might seem like the appropriate response to violence is violence, Peter says this, he goes on in verse 9, he says, Please do not repay evil for evil, abuse for abuse. I know that's what's happening in your life. 
I know that there is evil things that are taking place against you. I know that abuse is taking place. I've heard the tales of it. I know the loss that you've experienced. So please don't repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse. But on the contrary, repay anything like that with a blessing. For it is for this that you were called, that you might inherit a blessing. Peter says you cannot respond to the lack of order in your world by acting out of order. You can't do it. You can't do that and expect anything to change. You cannot take chaos in and calm chaos by reintroducing chaos. And it's natural for us to sort of do this at every level of society, right? If you're in the middle of an argument with your spouse or someone who's close to you in your life, married, dating, whatever it is, they get loud, what do you do? Get louder, right? You're just going to amp it up, and it just kind of keeps escalating because we often will respond to chaos with chaos, volume with volume. We'll do this tit-for-tat sort of thing, and we will introduce the violence into that situation, right? Who could be the strongest in the moment? You want to respond to me with, uh, with sarcasm? I'll be the wittiest in the room. Like, we'll go back and forth on this to see who can actually win out the day. And Peter says this. He says, on the contrary, on the contrary, when everything in your life is out of order and when it's spinning out of control, even on a very local level, don't introduce disorder. Don't carry on the chaos, but instead reintroduce order into that moment. With love, with tenderness, with humility, introduce order into a situation that's completely out of order. And, and the thing about this is it's not a new idea for Peter. Peter's not saying this for the first time for those people to hear. In fact, this is something that God had been dealing with throughout the centuries with his people. The Hebrew prophets, the kings, talked about this. And for the sake of time, I won't read the next three verses, uh, verses 10 through 12. But those verses, 10 through 12, are actually just quotations from King David and the prophet Isaiah. He takes those quotations and he, he says, look, you've heard this all along. You know this. This is not new for you, but I want to remind you that this is how you're supposed to live. And, and why would he do this? Why is it so important for you and me in seasons of our lives where everything seems chaotic to remember this? important for this reason. Listen very carefully. In our lives, things end up out of order when we don't do them in the right order. Big shock, right? <laughs> things seem up out of order, end up out of order when we don't do them in the right order, when we don't do them in the right spirit. And there are plenty of examples of, of where this might happen, but I love what Peter does here and what he's trying to help us see in this moment. He's trying to suggest that even in seasons of life that seem way out of order, there are still a set of orderly things that you can do that have predictable outcomes. There are things that you can latch on to and hold on to, and you can do those things, and they will have predictable outcomes, even when everything else seems out of order. If you keep on introducing chaos and disorder into chaos and disorder, what are you going to get? Chaos and disorder. That's what you'll get. But Peter is saying if you start to introduce good, and orderliness, and righteousness, and holiness into these things, what do you get out of that? You start to reap the benefits of orderly, righteousness, and holiness, and you get that response. Peter believes this so much, he, he sort of delves in, in verse 13, into a truism, an axiom that he can offer about this. In verse 13, he says, Now who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Why are you blessed? Why are you blessed in this moment? You're blessed because of what God has already done for you. Not because of what you're experiencing in this moment, but because of God and who God is in Jesus Christ and what Jesus has promised for us. And if we live into the hope of that resurrection, he's saying you are blessed. Beyond this world, above this world, you are blessed in those heavenly realms. And that's why we don't have to fear 
Look at what he says in the very next verse, verse 14 and 15. Do not fear what they fear. What do they fear? Death itself. That's what they fear. Don't fear what they fear. Don't be intimidated by them when they come to threaten you with death. But in your hearts, set Christ apart. Some of your translations may say, sanctify God, sanctify Christ in your heart as Lord. What this purely means is that turn the new page over to where you have a different Lord. Every one of us serves some sort of master. And Peter says, if you will serve Christ as your master, you won't have to fear what they fear. You won't give in to the things that they give in to. You won't get scared in the same ways that they get scared. How many of us, you don't have to raise your hand in this, but think about the times in your life when you've been afraid and you've made terrible decisions in light of your fear. Fear has this, this powerful way of pushing us into decision-making. And when we make those decisions based on our fear, they're some of the worst decisions that we've ever made. Like, I love I love to watch videos of people who get scared or scaring other people. You ever seen these videos? They're the best. But my favorite ones are not when they just scare somebody. My favorite ones are when they come around the corner and they scare that person, and automatically the person who is scared just responds and knocks them out. You ever seen this? It's like you come around the corner and you're like, ah, oh, you like wake up five minutes later as they've knocked you out. These are my favorite because what it does is it shows immediately how bad decisions are made in the, in the midst of fear. And in the midst of fear, we can make a decision that's not the best decision for anybody. We weren't going to get hurt. They were just scaring us in that moment. But we have now hurt them and leveled them on the ground. And this happens at, a, at every level. Whenever we enter into those seasons of fear, this gut-level response can rise up. And if we get wrapped up in fear, we can make some terrible decisions. We can return evil for evil, chaos for chaos. But Peter reminds us, we don't have to fear what they fear. We don't have to be subject to that bad decision-making in our lives because we have set apart Christ. Excuse me. We have set apart Christ as our Lord. We have moved Christ into that category in our lives. So we have to step away and we have to remember that the threat of death that everyone is so frightened by doesn't frighten us. It doesn't bother us in this way. Christ has been set apart in our lives. He's the one who conquered death, and we don't have to live into that fear. We don't have to act out of that fear. We can be free from the bondage of fear that grips so many. And it's in this moment when we set Christ apart as Lord that we can start to good in the face of evil. We can hold on to peace in the middle of chaos. And when you let go of that fear, you can actually start to share that good news with other people around you. You can share that good news with others so that it transforms their lives. If you'll let go of fear in your life, set Christ apart, this is what will happen. Look at verse 15 again. He says, you will always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Anyone who crosses your path will see the difference that Christ has made in your life whenever you start to let go of that fear. And they won't just see it with your words. Peter says they're going to see it in your actions. They'll see the way that you choose to act in a different way. And you're going to do it in this way. Verse 16, do it with gentleness, with reverence. Keep your conscience clear in all of those spaces so that when you are maligned, when they speak evil against you, and they will, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Christ will actually Peter's saying, look, it's not your Jesus clothes and your funny uh, Facebook posts about Bible verses that make you a Christian. It's your actions in the face of evil in your life. It's the way you choose to act when someone maligns you, when someone speaks evil against you. That's the thing that will set you apart as a follower of Christ. That's the way that they will see your good deeds, and then they will become curious 
about what's happening next. These are the principles that Peter wants to offer as being those things that bring God's order into the, into the world and that reintroduce order in seasons of disorder. But the question that he ends with and that I really kind of want to end with today is what do we do when we're doing all we can and darkness still comes? And that's an important question. In fact, that's the question that's sort of looming behind all that Peter's saying because Peter's writing this to a group of people, unlike ourselves, who have seen people in their lives deeply harmed, killed, murdered, terrorized at every turn. He's, he knows that when he's writing this and he's saying continue to do good, this isn't a bright and orderly season for them. This isn't theoretical for them. They're like, hey, I did do well, and I still was harmed. I did stand up for Christ, and they took the life of my child. I did all the right things. And so the $25,000 question right here is, what do we do when darkness comes and we're living in order? And it still seems like everything is out of order. Peter says in that moment that people won't return evil if you do good to them. the experience that these people are going through. It does actually seem like they're still experiencing hardship and trial and persecution, even when they are doing good. And perhaps this is a season of life you're either in or you, you can experience and, or, or you have experienced yourself. This moment where you feel like you live into the orderliness of life as best you can, but chaos just still reigns. You didn't ask for it, you didn't invite it, you did everything you could to avoid it, but it's there. And if that's where you are, or, 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 or that's where you've been, and you're still trying to wrestle with that, I want you to hear the final parts of what Peter says. But Peter's not done yet. He knows that some of his readers are suffering. He realizes that that's a part of it. And he knows that in life, you and I sometimes suffer unnecessarily and live through these seasons of life. And here's what Peter says. Verse 17. Suffering is going to happen. Period. It's going to happen in your life. Verse 17 says, but it is better to suffer for doing good. If suffering should be God's will in your life, then if, if suffering should be God's will in your life, rather than to suffer for doing evil. Now, this is hard. This this is a really difficult phrase to sort of get into, especially if you just want to sit with it in a very realistic way. Why would Peter say that? Why, why would suffering of any sort ever be acceptable at any level? And Peter knows that's coming. That's our responsibility. So he gives us the answer. Verse 18, he said, remember this. Christ also suffered. He suffered for sins, and he did it once for all of us. The righteous, the righteous one, for the unrighteous one. In order that, he can bring you back to God. This is the model that is set before us. Christ's suffering is the thing that brought you to God. The path of this suffering servant, as Isaiah talked about, is the one who showed you the way to God. He sets up the model so that you can see it. It's through his suffering that you see you have a path towards God. And not only you, but others who seem beyond the hope of reconciliation. One of the verses that Taylor didn't read, but I want to introduce it to us. It's right there at the end verse 19 says he was put in uh, put to death in the flesh but he was made alive to the spirit in the spirit and then this is what he did this is a powerful passage that we often skip over because frankly it's it's weird as heck but let's get beyond that a minute it says he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison now this is weird like did he just go to hell did he go somewhere else did he go in you know what people would call abraham's bosom here's what peter's trying to get at he 
he's trying to suggest beyond the, the esoteric, like what actually is happening, he's trying to say there are people in your life that you think are beyond the hope of reconciliation. It's easy for all of us to get into a space where we're like, oh yeah, I believe that Christ died for all of us, but some people are just beyond, beyond the space, right? And Peter is saying, no, no, no. Christ died this death in the flesh, was made alive in the spirit, and then he went to those who were beyond hope. That's how far he went. His death went even to those whose spirits were imprisoned eternally, and he made the proclamation of hope to them. He descended into the depths of hell itself, is what our creed says, and he did this so that even those who we think are beyond reconciliation and hope would find hope. Peter says as a result of Christ's suffering, even those individuals who are beyond being saved got saved. Through the disorder of this final hour, God is able to bring all things into order in that moment. And let me tell you something, that can be your story too. That can be our story too. How you respond in seasons of trial and heartache can be the very thing that God is wanting to use to redeem the unredeemable around you. To save those who you might say are beyond saving. To liberate the one in your life who's been captive for years. This is what God is doing and can do in the context of suffering. And how you choose to reintroduce order into seasons of disorder in your life right now is not just for you. It's for others around you. It'll make the difference in their world as well and how they see their lives in light of the resurrection. You know, I started the sermon off by talking about how order is in what? Everything. Yeah, we got to get it. But I talked particularly about the sunrise and sunset, and, and, and I sort of left out a season of the day, which is still very orderly, but one that we don't often see. And that's the seasons of the night, the cycle of the night. In, in the same way that there's a cycle in day, there's a cycle at night, but you and I just sleep through it. And by sleeping through it, we often don't recognize the orderliness of the nighttime seasons. And you may not recognize the orderliness of the nighttime seasons in your life. Just as sunrise leads to daylight, daylight to noontime, noontime to dusk, and dusk to sunset, sunset leads to night, but then night, as it sunsets, it actually leads us into twilight. And twilight digs us deeper into darkness as we approach the darkness of midnight. But in the stillness of the night of midnight, there's always this forward trajectory towards dawn. There's a dawn that's coming at the end of that nighttime season. And I know that Peter doesn't use this particular language, but I can't help but sort of looking at it and seeing it in this particular way. As Peter's encouraging the churches to believe that even though they are in one of the darkest seasons of their lives, there is a dawn that is coming. And the dawn is going to be one of the brightest, most beautiful spots of the day. Most of us sleep through that as well. We skip right over and it's just daylight and we wake up. And Peter's like, no, no, no. If you're living through the night season, at the end of that night season, there's this incredible, incredible sight to beheld. There's brightness all around. As I told you a few weeks ago, my son likes to call that the cotton candy kind of skies, right? That's the time where you get to see the most brilliant colors. And it's not at sunset and it's not in a day cycle. It's in the night cycle of life. I know that everything, that order is everything. You know that order is in everything. But in seasons of darkness, seasons of chaos, seasons where everything around us is falling apart, it doesn't feel like there's any order to it. But as we close today, I want to remind you of this one final thing. Order is, in fact, in everything. And everything in our lives. 
maybe a daytime TV, maybe a nighttime TV. But everything in our lives is in order. There's action and activity that's happening in your seasons of chaos that needs to take place that leads you to a deeper life with God and with one another. There's work to be done right there. And I don't want you to give up on it just because it's a nighttime season. I don't want you to give in in moments like that. But I want you to walk through them and recognize the order that comes even in those seasons of life. And until it does end, I want you to live like it's daytime. Live like the sun has come, the dawn has come, the sun is shining around you. Live in that way. Live under the rule and reign of God who has ordered all things and who invites us into this righteous pathway of living where we can invite other people into that same order. I don't know where you are today, but this is the hope that a week like this in our church brings to so many. It's a week where we go up and we go down and we rise again and we remember in fact, some people, I've mentioned this before, but some people, instead of just focusing on the celebration of Palm Sunday, this is sort of Palm Sunday Passion Sunday. It's the tipping point. It's the place where we remember the celebration, but it's also the place where we, we stand at the edge of the cliff and know things are about to get bad. And this isn't just so we can remember the life of Christ, but it's so in a very real way you and I can walk every single day ready to embrace both of those seasons, both of those cycles spaces where things seem out of order, reclaim order in this moment. Would you stand with me? God, we give you thanks for this day, for the way in which you call us into this season. Some of us may be standing in daytime seasons right now of our life, and we see that. We, we rejoice in that. We're glad in that. But others of us may be standing in those nighttime seasons, seasons that feel chaotic out of order, out of place. God, wherever we are in those spaces, help us remember that order is everything, but everything is also in order in our lives. That as you walk with us and you, you uh, move with us and your spirit directs us, that you have called us into this season and you will call us through it. Help us in those places not to introduce chaos, but to bring order back into that space live lives that are honoring to you and to others. God, we thank you for it. Now as we close this service today, I ask that you would continue to bless us. To bless us in our going, bless us in our celebration, and we will give